Do you think that when you get to heaven, that God is going to weigh your sinful lifestyle against all the social good you did in the world? And if the balance tips in just the right direction, you'll make it in. Do you think that God is going to look at all the injustice you suffered in the world and, and feel sorry for you so that he'll lower the standards and let you in since you already suffered so much? Do you think that some people think that God has an affirmative action policy for heaven? That the requirements for some ethnic groups are lower than they are for others and that because of things like maybe slavery, black people will be given some sort of special consideration on Judgment Day? I think some people really do think this way. They project their rules on God the same as they project their own idea of a God on to God. Let's talk about that. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Elijah Cummings was an extreme advocate of infanticide. He was opposed to the very idea of placing restrictions on abortion. He even opposed legislation that would criminalize injuring a baby still in its mother's womb. He was for the atrocious act known as partial birth abortion that almost all of us now understand how that procedure works and shudder when we think about what a medical doctor is doing. It's really very difficult to get your head around. I don't understand how any human being could do that. I don't understand how any human being could subject an infant to that. They are monsters. He led the charge against the First Amendment Defense Act, which protected businesses from having to extend benefits to, to married homosexuals. He was against that. Cummings was the son of two Pentecostal ministers. He grew up in a house where even makeup was a sin, according to the website Out, an article that appears in October of 2017. So he knew if he grew up in, in a Pentecostal household, he knew. He is fully culpable, top to bottom. And what is also interesting is that the, the number of Christians in social media who are defending Cummings as a believer is nothing short of astonishing. It is a true indication that the church is filled with 
people who do not understand what it means to call yourself a Christian, and they don't care. These people talk about standing up for the oppressed, people like Cummings, but they murder babies like roaches and are shocked when true Christians call them out for the pure evil that they commit and the pure evil that they are. A scripture says this, and if you're listening to this and you're on the fence, you would do well to go back to scripture. You think some of the things that conservative Christians are saying is are harsh, you need to go to scripture and, and find some harshness there because scripture is very harsh when it comes to rebellion against God. In fact, I can't think of anything that's more harsh that then how scripture describes what God does to people who rebel to him to the end. It's not funny. It's sobering. It's serious. We have taken the sting out of this. There is no fear of God in our pastors. There's no fear of God in the overwhelming majority of the church. The book of Revelation chapter 2 verse 20 says, but I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. God is opposing the church here, not because of their immorality because they tolerate the woman Jezebel who leads the church astray into acts of immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols. Pastors, let me tell you this. Men like Russell Moore, women like Beth Moore, men like Jamar Tisby, Jarvis Williams, the BDN Yabwili, all of these guys who are pushing this agenda are just like the woman Jezebel. These men organized a rally and a celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. who fits perfectly into this description. And God says, I have this against you. You better repent. We pay it no attention whatsoever. You best start paying attention to this. You better start standing up and saying something about it. You better teach your people that this is garbage. You better preach and stand against these things if for no other reason than to be an encouragement to those people in your churches who love the truth and who are concerned about the Church of Jesus Christ. They need encouragement from their pastors. They need to see that they're not alone. And most pastors, especially in the SBC, are silent. Even those who are opposed to the things that are going on won't talk about it. They won't stand up publicly in their church and warn their members, their constituents, their sheep, over whom God placed them.
They just won't do it. 1 Kings 21, 23, talk about harsh. God says this, Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The dogs are going to eat her. That's pretty harsh. That is pretty harsh. Revelation 21.8 says, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God demanded that humans not murder one another. Cummings did everything he could to make sure that humans could murder their babies without restriction on their part and without remorse on his. God demanded that sex be reserved for marriage and that marriage is between one man and one woman. Cummings did everything he could to make sure that the perversion of homosexual sex and homosexual marriage are accepted, embraced, and celebrated in our society. So say whatever you want about Cummings' life. One thing is absolutely certain. It was not a reflection of the love of Christ. It was a reflection of rebellion and blasphemy. It was a life lived in defiance of the living God, one filled with hatred for God's commands and mockery of Christian belief. Cummings has now come into divine judgment. He has received his just reward. And you can hear the snowflake Christians running around who don't know an ounce of scripture or church history, and they don't care to, telling everyone who's making these comments about Cummings that maybe Cummings repented on his deathbed. Okay, well, there's nothing to suggest that Cummings thought himself unregenerate. He didn't think he was wrong. In other words, he didn't think he had anything to repent of. And if he repented of anything, it was probably that he didn't do more to make baby killing easier. More to make the homosexual perversion even more celebrated. If he repented of anything, that's probably what he repented of. If you think you can go to your deathbed and perform some sort of generic repentance for all those sins you committed that you didn't even know were sins and that God is going to somehow be cool with it, you don't know the first thing about Christianity. Everything you believe about the Christian religion in terms of what it means to be a Christian is a lie. You have no clue. And I think many of these leaders that are involved in this social justice movement who are heavily pushing this, and a lot of them are African-American uh, professing Christians who have been raised in that community with that community's theology, which has been aberrant for decades. If Martin Luther King is a reflection of the African-American Christian thinking, then we know what the problem is. And it's a big one. And no, the true church of Jesus Christ cannot be reconciled with an ideology that was expressed and reflected 
in the life of Martin Luther King Jr. in terms of theology. It cannot. And in terms of morality, it cannot. Simple. And I think when we talk about racial reconciliation, that this seems to be the goal. It isn't just reconciling people on the basis of, of, of melanin and that that's the focus. The problem is the ideology. The Church of Jesus Christ cannot be joined to a whore. She cannot be joined to the filthy, to the repugnant. The truth cannot be joined to a lie. Yeah, I, I get that the terms and expressions that I'm using are off-putting in modern American culture. They're not off-putting according to Scripture. You read Genesis to Revelation from beginning to end, you're going to see this kind of direct, harsh criticism of rebellion against God throughout every book of the Bible. And the reason that it's so shocking and off-putting and, um, gosh, what... Um, unbelievable that people would talk like I'm talking today is because our pastors and teachers and evangelists stopped talking like this a long time ago. And Christians are not used to hearing it anymore. I'm not saying anything new. This has been the position of the church and it goes all the way back to Genesis 1. God hates sin and God will deal harshly with sin. Sin is not a mistake or an imperfection. It is rebellion against God. Open, blasphemous rebellion against God that God will deal with. God is not sitting in heaven, wringing his hands, wishing fewer people would sin and hoping that people will just change their mind and start doing the right thing and following Christ. He does not see you, sinner, as a victim. This is another major issue with this movement. And it's coming right out of black liberation theology, neo-Marxist ideologies. It's, it is a serious problem in the black Christian community, and it has been a serious problem in the white evangelical community, if you want to draw lines in the sand and... and stick people into groups, which we should not do. Sin, sin is not uh, like, let's say, um, a cold or, a, or the flu. Or let's, sin is not making a mistake. Sin is not a reflection of your imperfection. It's just, it's not just being imperfect. It is imperfect. But it is not just that. You, we treat sin as if it's just a, a mere imperfection. And in, and in today's culture, we, we treat sinners like they're victims. Like it, this is something that happened to me. The Bible treats sin as malicious rebellion against God. The Bible treats sin as your 
free choice to give God the middle finger, for lack of a better expression. You're not a victim of sin. Jamar Tisby comes out, of course, tweeting positive things. Jamar Tisby is the man who wrote The Color of Compromise. He is a divisive individual and a racist based on what I read in his writings. That would indicate to me that he is an, an overt racist. Tisby tweets about Cummings. He says, a member of New Psalmist Baptist Church in Baltimore Mr. Cummings said he was driven by his faith and secure in his conviction that history would recognize his resolve to stand up for what he believed was right. No warnings from Tisby about the pernicious wickedness of Cummings. I don't know if that's because Cummings is shares melanin with Tisby or not. I don't know. I don't know if it's... Gee, he shares, he shares the same gene with me, so I've got to stand up for him. Look, I'm part German. My father's family came directly from Germany to America in 1750. Landed in Virginia. Second family to settle the state of West Virginia. First family to settle Logan County. Hitler was a wicked and pernicious evil man. I don't have any loyalty to Germans based on DNA. I'm a huge Martin Luther fan, but not because he's German. Good grief. I don't understand this thinking. Tisby is a div divisive racist who celebrates men like Martin Luther King and Elijah Cummings, but slanders godly men like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and the whole church because of American slavery. In fact, if, if you're a white evangelical, you have been slandered by Jamar Tisby. And we have pastors, even some that are close to home for me, even one pastor in particular in my own church who says glowing things about Jamar Tisby. While at the same time, Tisby is out creating division in the body of Christ. These things should not be. Romans 6, 17, 18 says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Last night on the Q&A at the Shepherds Conference, uh, John MacArthur and Phil Johnson talked about this. And one of the things that Phil Johnson pointed out is that this idea going around regarding reparations, which Jamar Tisby is massively pushing, along with the rest of these guys, give me your stuff. That's what this is about, folks. We want power and we want your stuff. Don't think for one second that this is some virtuous call to action out of true love for God. It is not. Those who truly love God understand the importance of forgiveness. These guys do not. Johnson pointed out 
that this push from this particular group absolutely downgrades, compromises, and, and dilutes the atonement. Jesus Christ paid for the sin of every human being who he has called to himself. So if you are in the body of Christ, if you are in the body of Christ, your past sins have been forgiven. Guys like Jamar Tisby don't believe that. They think that your true repentance and true forgiveness would manifest itself by way of you giving him your stuff. Because perhaps, and we don't even know this, perhaps his ancestors were slaves and yours were slave owners. Therefore, you should give him your stuff. This is the kind of convoluted rubbish that's being pushed by these guys. And it is it absolutely compromises the work of, of Christ in the atonement. You are forgiven. If you read Matthew chapter 18, those who refuse to forgive, the Father will not forgive them. It's a pretty big deal. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 through 13, regarding Tisby's glowing remarks of Cummings uh, and the implication that he was a fan. It says, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those, is it not those in the church? whom you judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you, says Paul. Get him out. We, we don't do that. We celebrate them. We lift them up. We take them and place their, their social work beside these other things. And we say, well, the social work outweighs the evil. So he did a lot more good overall than he did evil. So he's good. He's a good guy. That's what we do with Martin Luther King Jr. We say, well, yeah, he was a womanizer. He was a serial adulterer. Uh, he was he was uh, involved in se sexual de debauchery of all sorts. He was a drunkard, a gambler. Uh, but you know, his his civil rights work outweighs all those evil sins that he committed. And overall, he was a good person. He just wasn't perfect. See, this is what I mean when I say we treat sin as if it's just um, a character flaw or an imperfection. We don't recognize it for the pure evil that it is. And until the church gets back to talking about sin in that language, language from Scripture, the church is going to continue to fill itself with people who don't appreciate the sinfulness of sin. And when that happens, we lose everything. We don't understand grace. We become... Uh, uh, we adopt this uh, mentality of entitlement. We don't see our wretchedness. We don't see our true need for a Savior. We become entitled. The, the snowball effect is just absolutely amazing. And we don't think biblically about bad things that happen to us. And we completely ignore the sovereignty of God in human affairs. We just don't for a minute consider that. And we don't consider the work of God in our lives through suffering. We don't have a theology of suffering. We're such narcissists. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. 
says this, and Jamar Tisby should pay attention. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. I think we're seeing that right here. Does Jamar Tisby make these statements about Elijah Cummings because Elijah Cummings was black? I mean, I look around, and the only time I ever see these black guys criticizing other black guys is when the other black guys are, like, maybe supporting Trump, maybe supporting what they consider to be white evangelicalism, uh, maybe supporting, you know, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. I mean, that's the only time I ever see these guys criticize other black guys. They can commit adultery. They can they can be serial adulterers. They can be homosexual. They can be anything they want to be. But as long as they're on the uh, reparations bandwagon, give me your stuff, then they get propped up. They support infanticide. They support sexual perversions. They support female pastors. Cummings, both of Cummings' parents were, were he called them ministers, Pentecostal ministers. They can support all these anti-biblical concepts, these doctrines that are contradictory to basic Christian belief, and they get a pass. All of their sin gets washed away by their good works or by their political allegiance. Folks, this is not Christianity. Somebody's got to stand up and say, whoa, this is not Christianity. It's, it's kind of late for that at this point. Or did, did Jamar Tisby uh, say this because Cummings spent a lot of energy working for social causes that African that the African-American community deem important? Hmm. Why did he say it? Who can say for sure? He said it. It's all that matters. Cummings' life reflects rebellion against God. Cummings' life was a life lived that was anti-God. And we have people inside the church, even evangelicals, who are touting Cummings as maybe a true Christian. It's incredible. It is incredible. We better pay attention to what Isaiah said. Let's turn our attention quickly to uh, Kyle J. Howard, the founding father of American evangelicalism. Is Jonathan, it is, is, yeah. Kyle Howard says the founding father of American evangelicalism is Jonathan Edwards. Uh, hmm. Okay, if you say so. This is crucial to understand. What's his point? American evangelicalism, even in its reformed variety, is more tied to Edwards and other slave master segregationist theologians than to the Protestant Re Reformation. So what? Big deal, Kyle. Who cares? This is not true, but at any rate, what is Kyle J. Howard doing? He is attempting to knock over American evangelicalism. If you buy into his rhetoric that all forms of slavery are immoral and evil, then the very founding father of American evangelicalism was evil and immoral. Therefore, American evangelicalism is evil and immoral, and it should be abandoned. I'm not even going to bother getting into the logic of this argument because it is so absolutely insane that it isn't worth my time. It's utterly ridiculous. Not only is it factually, factually wrong, 
it's completely invalid. I know no one pays attention to Kyle J. Howard. Unfortunately, Howard isn't the only one who's making arguments like this. It's coming from other people who should know better. In fact, one man, Gerald C. Wilson, uh, recently questioned the salvation of George Whitfield merely on the ground that he owned slaves. Merely on the ground that he owned slaves. Hey, Jared, have you ever read the Bible? Hey, Jared, do you know or do you realize that from Genesis to Revelation, there isn't one single prohibition in the Bible that condemns any and all forms of slavery? Do you know that? In fact, nowhere in the Bible is a slave master ever commanded to set his slaves free, even though 66 books, how many verses are in the Bible? How many verses are in the Bible? How many opportunities? Let's just see. There are 31,102 verses in the Bible. 31,102 opportunities for the Bible to condemn slavery the way you do and to condemn slave owners the way you do. 31,102 opportunities, not one. Not one commandment or prohibition against any idea of slavery whatsoever. In fact, the Bible presupposes that slavery, there are some forms of slavery that are moral. And if you think ancient slavery wasn't, uh, let's say it this way, if you think that ancient slavery was five times more mild than American slavery, that they were radically different. They were different in some ways. There's no question about that. That's a historical fact. They were different in some ways. But if you think that based on our standards today, ancient slavery would have been okay, you've lost your mind. Now this is an area these guys do not like to talk about. Because the bottom line is, if you really do think slavery in all its forms is immoral, absolutely, in, in, in all cases, well, then you have to give up Christianity. Because here's the bottom line. If you have a problem with some forms of slavery, with, with, it, with, with the idea of slavery at all, one human being owning another human being, period. Nothing further than that. If you have a problem with that, then you have a problem with Christianity. You can't be a Christian and hold to that view because it's contradictory. Well, you could be a Christian and hold to that view. It just makes you a walking contradiction. Now, if you're okay with being a walking contradiction, I suppose that's fine. But you can't be logically consistent and be a Christian and hold that the idea, any idea, the idea of one human being owning another human being in any way, shape, or form, is itself, ipso facto, immoral 
in an absolute sense. You can't do that. What these repugnant false teachers don't seem to understand, you see, is that they are, they are indicting Peter and Paul. Two apostles who wrote most of the New Testament. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling. Okay? With fear and trembling. And in sincerity of your heart. As to Christ. Treat those fleshly masters as if they are Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You never know when God will use that kind of behavior, that Christian behavior, as one means to draw your master to himself. And that's really what this is about. Slave owners were to glorify God in their position as slave owners and slaves were to glorify God in their position as slaves. A healthy person is to glorify God in their health. A person with cancer is to glorify God through their illness. You see, this is Christian service, folks. This is why we're created. We are created in the image of God to be like Him. This is lost on these people. They don't think this way. And it is fundamental biblical Christianity. In Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. If you're not doing this, then, logically speaking, you're not adorning the doctrine of God. So when these men come out and make the comments that they make and they talk about reparations and it's clear that there is bitterness in their heart over the slavery of the past that they cannot let go of, they are not adorning the doctrine of God. 1 Timothy 6, 1 says, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Wow. Now, it's, I'll say this. Paul thought it was better to be free. Of course, it's, it's better to be free. It is better to be free. But that wasn't the situation at the time. They were not free. And even though he thought it was better to be free, he instructed the slaves in this way. And he never once fought or took up the cause of freeing the, freeing the slaves or ending slavery in his time. Not once. Actually, then, is already a defeat for you, 1 Corinthians 6, 7, that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? The point here is that it is better for you to be a good slave walking your in your life for the glory of God than it is for you to rebel and fight for your freedom, which will cause you 
to not adorn the doctrine of God, which will give room for blasphemy against the name of God and the word of God. That's the point. And it's better for you to suffer and be wronged, for me to suffer and be wronged, so that God would be glorified than the other way around. That's the principle. And it is ignored by the church today. Servants, this is Peter, second, first Peter 2.18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. That word unreasonable, skolios in the Greek, per, means pertaining to being unscrupulous and dishonest, crooked, um, bent, curved, as opposed to straight, morally bent or twisted. Even to those masters, be submissive with all respect. That's hard, but it is the inspired word of God. And it is absolutely contradictory to men like Anyabwili, Tisby, Moore, and all of the other social justice advocates. Uh, Dever, Chandler, put them all in the same bucket. Uh, they're all on the same page. Many African-American leaders who name Christ seem to posit a works-based righteousness. This is where I see this, this really the, the core problem that is behind this movement. Seems to me that many of them, as well as many in the social justice movement, think that God is going to weigh our social work against our personal rebellion. And if we've done enough of the right kind of social work, we will get a uh, get out of pornography, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, drunkenness, unforgiveness, lying, slandering, baby killing, jail card, free card. I mean, think about that. Think about that. This is what we see. We see men who are engaged in adultery, fornication, uh, endorsing homosexuality, who are drunkenness, who are bitter, uh, who lie and slander, who are involved in infanticide. And all of that is swept aside as long as they are taking up the cause in the black community. You see. And, and that is the perception that we have to create. It is a real problem. It's a real problem. They couldn't be more wrong. And in case you missed it, this is starting to gain steam in our churches. We're seeing people in, in our churches who are very busy feeding the poor, organizing clothes pantries, adopting children, fostering children, standing up for illegal immigrants, uh, and, and who are pushing to, for reparations giving black people money because their great-great-great-great-grandpappy was a slave. Uh, and they think this makes them a good Christian. And very few leaders and pastors are standing up and making it clear that doing these things does not make you a good Christian. What people seem to really miss these days 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says this, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. What do you think it is when the black community continually hammers away at white evangelicalism? Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. What do you think reparations is? What do you think it is? Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Isn't it amazing that the people who are talking about love the most seem to be people who are devoid of love? and who are expressing the least amount of love when you read the famous love chapter in Scripture. Isn't that interesting? If reparations isn't seeking your own, if it isn't holding on to the past, if it isn't keeping an account of wrongs, then I don't know what it is. And according to Scripture, doing those things is not loving pretty simple. And the point, and the funny thing is, uh, not only are wrongs being kept account of, they're not even wrongs that were committed by people who are alive. They're committed by people who were dead. Long since dead. Many social justice advocates and many black Christian leaders do not hesitate to disparage great godly men of faith from history simply because those men's moral code did not line up or does not line up with their own. If you were a slave owner, you're dismissed as a believer. George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, two giants of the Christian faith, are denounced while men like Martin Luther King and Elijah Cummings are extolled and praised despite their clear heresy, immoral doctrines, and immoral lifestyle. Here's what I think, guys. I think that people who don't appreciate the seriousness of immorality don't appreciate it because they live immoral lives too. I think they understand serial adultery because they're adulterers too. I think these things don't shock them because they engage in some of that behavior themselves. People who truly are working to mortify the deeds of the flesh, who are, who are truly giving attention to walking in a sanctified fashion in a manner worthy of the gospel, they're appalled by these behaviors. So if you're not appalled by these behaviors, I think it's a good chance that the reason is you're engaging in them. I really do. 
King and Cummings get a pass because, well, they're either black or because they're black men who took up the cause of black people or because they're two men who took up the cause of black people. You get a pass. Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield get to have their salvation questioned hmm. because they were slave owners. Despite everything that I said about what Scripture teaches regarding slavery earlier. Edwards and Whitfield are slandered and their entire ministry is cast to the dunghill. Gee, Paul didn't cast Onesimus to the dunghill, even though he could have. Here was a great opportunity of all the books in the Bible for the Apostle Paul to condemn human beings owning each other without equivocation, without ambiguity, and he didn't do it. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. The pagans watched these pernicious men in the social justice movement who think that these men are actually a true reflection of the church ripping the church apart. When they keep talking about how the church is filled with racists and white supremacy and so on and so forth, what do you think the pagans are going to think about the credibility of the institution of the church now? It's bad enough that we have had pastors who run off with their piano players and their, their secretaries and uh, pastors who who just leave their spouses for other spouses. It's bad enough when we have divorces in our church that are un that are on unbiblical grounds, spouses abandoning each other, professing to love Christ, and we don't do anything about it. It's bad enough when we have adulterers in the church and we don't discipline, we have heretics in the church and we don't discipline. Those things are bad enough. But here, this, this stuff is being paraded with a loudspeaker, a bullhorn, in front of the entire world. You want to talk about compromising the integrity of and credibility of the Christian church? This, this does that pretty well. Satan knows what he's doing. You try to speak truth into someone's life, and the minute they hear that you're a Christian, they're going to start thinking racism, corruption, power-hungry. It isn't the offense of the gospel that's going to bug people. It's this kind of stuff. This makes it very challenging. right? Very, very challenging. Look, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the wickedness of humanity, all of humanity is wicked. African Americans are wicked. Black people are wicked. White people are wicked. Yellow people are wicked. Brown people are wicked. All right. I hate to single out any one particular group because we're all equally wicked. However, it seems to me that the, the African American folks want to continue to see themselves differently for some reason. Not They're the victims, right? This victim mentality, the oppressed. And the reason Christ came was to end Oppression. Well, it's not the reason he came. He didn't come to end oppression in this world, at least not yet. He'll end oppression in the world when he returns a second time. But between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, oppression will continue to the end because sin will continue to the end. And the church was not, was not called to, to fight it or end it. It's definitely called 
not to participate in it, not to oppress people. Don't be a business owner and extort your employees or treat your employees badly. All right. In 2018, Africa led the world in missionaries killed. Of the 40 missionaries that were killed worldwide, 21 of them were in Africa. How many times did God send missionaries to the African continent only to have African people groups butcher them simply because they were bringing to them the gospel? How many times? Probably too many to count, but it's a lot. The African people, just like every other people group on the planet, They have a long history of idolatry, worshiping false gods and voodoo and immorality and all kinds of different ways to rebel against God, blasphemous top to bottom, like everybody else. And like most other people groups, eventually God did something interesting for the African people, the idolaters the blasphemers, the slanderers, the God-haters, the evildoers. He sold them into American slavery. Judgment? Consequences, for sure. Consequences of sin in the world, for sure. What was one of the most gracious things God did? Well, it was to sell the African people into slavery. And the reason that act was so incredibly gracious was because now the descendants of these Africans who had killed missionaries and continued to live in rebellion against God and idolatry, their offspring would be exposed to the gospel. They're going to get the gospel. They're going to have one of the greatest evangelical evangelists in the world as their master and he's going to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ and some of them are elect and God calls them to himself that is amazing grace you see for some reason folks that fact is downplayed and treated as if it's uh, an objection of some sort. It isn't an objection. It is a wonderful point that we should should think about that and, and think, wow, God brought us into slavery. It seems like an awful thing in reality, In the grand scheme of things, eternally speaking, it's one of the most incredible acts of grace that they experienced. In fact, it's the most incredible act of grace that they experienced. A little bit of suffering in this world, perhaps. And in some cases, especially under Whitfield, no. Under Whitfield, no. Not that kind of suffering. There was no raping or anything like that going on. 
with George Whitfield and his slaves, or Edwards. But these people have eternity now to live in the presence of God. That's amazing. So here's the here's the other big point. This victimology thing. I'm coming back to that again. Uh, the 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 compromise of the atonement that the reparations nonsense uh, it unavoidably does, and that's big. That's an essential doctrine of Christianity. Forgiveness, an essential doctrine of Christianity. You don't forgive, you're not a believer. Until black Christians accept their own sinfulness with an appreciation for the sinfulness of sin and an understanding of God's holiness and divine grace, many of them will continue to walk around this life pretending that they only deserve good things to happen to them. These, these guys seem to be sending the signal that they didn't deserve to be sold into slavery. And that is not a Christian attitude. A Christian attitude is, we deserve worse than being sold into slavery. We were wicked idolaters. God should have killed us. Instead, he sells us into slavery, and we get the gospel. Wow, that's, that's incredible. I can't even think of, I mean, judgment and grace both at the same time with that act. That's amazing. They will continue until until the African American leaders start adopting this this attitude, this Christian attitude. They're going to continue to feel entitled and victimized, which is antithetical to Christian to the Christian attitude. They will continue to to be blind to the fact that their own sin is to blame for their sufferings. They won't own it. They won't take responsibility for it, whatever those sufferings might be. And for those who are Christians, they must be taught that God is working in them for his glory in all things, including slavery, including discrimination. God is working in you, perfecting you, growing you into the image of Christ. All right, you've been listening to the Reformed Rant. Thank you very much for your time. I hope I said something that was thought-provoking, something that was encouraging, uh, and maybe if 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 I said something that's that stung a little, well, you know, praise God. We all need to be challenged. We all need to be challenged in how we think and how we act and how we and how we behave. If you have any questions or comments, and you're listening to this on the Anchor app, you can leave questions or comments right there on the app. Or you can go over to Reformed Reasons, uh, which is uh, my, my blog. This is where I post most of these. I don't write that much uh, anymore, but I do rant uh, uh, more often. Um, it, or you can also go over to the Facebook Reformation Charlotte. There's two groups there uh, where you can have some, some fellowship and engage in stimulating conversation, discussion, even debate. Uh, so again, uh, keep the faith, stay in the fight, continue to live your life for the glory of God. Do all things for the glory of God. Be the light of the world that God has called you to be where you're at at this moment in time. God bless. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com Amazing grace How sweet the sound that